You're listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead the Bible study groups using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching helps along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and I'm also the leader of the Adult Explore the Bible team. Today, I'm being joined by David Briscoe. He's a member of the team as well. His main responsibility is he's, he edits the adult commentary. So, David, thank you for being with us today. Hi, Dwayne. It's good to be here. We're going to be looking at session eight for our study of Luke in the winter of 2020 through 21. So this particular study looks at Luke 4, verses 16 through 30. It's where Jesus gets rejected by his hometown. In verses 16 through 21, uh, we find Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth. He enters the synagogue, and then he stood and read from Isaiah 61. He closed the scroll, sat down, and declared that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. We identified this particular section of this passage as true identity, and the main point is that Jesus came to offer salvation. In verses 22 through 27, those present questioned Jesus' words since they understood him to be Joseph's son. We can imagine how their response was that day. Jesus commented that the people expected him to perform miracles like he had performed in other towns. He pointed to Elijah and Elisha as examples of prophets who did not work miracles only in their homelands or exclusively for Israelites. We've entitled this particular section, verses 22-27, False Understanding, and the main point is all people must examine their presuppositions about Jesus. And that comes through this idea that they understood Jesus only in the terms of being Joseph's son and not his true identity. In verses 28 through 30, we find the people being angered by Jesus' words, and they drive them out of the city with the intent of throwing him off a cliff. However, Jesus escaped and went his way. We're going to talk more about his escape here in a little bit. But we've entitled that section, verses 28 through 30, Misguided Response. And the main point there is that rejection of Jesus does not change his identity. So the key ideas here, key points, true identity, verses 16 through 21, false understanding, verses 22 through 27, and then a misguided response in 28 through 30. David, let's talk about this rejection, first of all. How do we see Jesus rejected here? Uh, how, how does his rejection here in Nazareth compare uh, to the way we see him rejected today? Are they similar? Are they different? Uh, what can we learn from this particular passage about how Christ is perceived today? Well, Dwayne, I know you've heard the saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Well, I think that applies, uh, I think that applies here. Uh, the way that you, some, some uh, ideas of, of why the people in Nazareth rejected Jesus, you see some of those same uh, things emerging as well in people today. And so I would, I would note three, three possibilities there. One is uh, that people, some people just have erroneous preconceived ideas and expectations about Jesus, about who he is, about what he came to do. Uh, if you think about the Nazareth synagogue, it's where Jesus would have been brought up. I mean, he would have attended that synagogue as he was growing up. He was not and a stranger. No, that. not not a stranger there. In fact, that's that's brought out in the response of some 
uh, it's not is kind of described as sort of a whispering campaign. Hey, isn't isn't this Joseph's son? And so the idea there is that you know Joseph, the the carpenter, this this is his son, and why why would Joseph's son come here and then began to te try to teach us and to, of all things, say that he was the fulfillment of a messianic scripture like Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. So some of the folks at Nazareth just, just had this idea in their mind that Joseph the carpenter's son, Jesus, could not be the Messiah. Uh, what he says, what he's claiming to be. But we're also told that, that some wanted Jesus to perform the kinds of miracles that he had done in Capernaum. You know, that's their idea, their expectation was, okay, Jesus, do your stuff, you know, let us show us something, prove to us that you're able to do amazing, miraculous kinds of things. And so Jesus instead, what does he choose to do? just simply reads the scroll from Isaiah 61 and says, sits down and says, you know, I, I'm the fulfillment of this passage. It's been fulfilled in your ears today. So, and then I think that <clears throat> some uh, of the uh, worshipers in, in the Nazareth synagogue uh, may have been people who understood, who thought that God's only concern was for people like them. In other words, if God was going to do something, it was only for the people of Israel. But then of all things, Jesus talks of, in his further commentary, he, he talks about these two examples in the Old Testament from Israel's past when God chose to bless Gentiles. <laughs> and not Israelites. And the ironic thing was that God blessed the Gentiles, not the Israelites, because the Israelites rejected, uh, did not respond in, in faith and belief to what God was doing at that time. And so, ironically, that's, that's what some people in Nazareth were doing as well. They were not responding in faith to what God was doing. So that, that's one. I just think there were some erroneous preconceived ideas and expectations that not only happened then, but it happens all of the time today as well, where people just think, well, you know, if, if Jesus is going to cure me or if he's going to uh, give me a lot of money or success, then maybe I will believe. But secondly, I think you have the possibility that you had a crowd mentality, a group thing going on here. You know, I can imagine some in the Nazareth synagogue were, were really quite interested in what Jesus had to say, because you look at verse 22, the very first part of that verse, that they were, okay, that's, it was, uh, they were uh, receiving what he was saying. But, but then it, it appears that they became swayed by these leaders, uh, Jewish leaders whose voices were loud or maybe more influential in the community, and perhaps just by a fear of being accused and scoffed at along with Jesus as the tide kind of turned. And so there likely were some in the crowd who just simply were going along with these loud voices of rejection just to get along. That happens today as well, where people just say, well, you know, I, I don't want to stand out 
uh, as a believer uh, when those around me don't believe. And then there's a third that I think is really a sort of an underlying, a subtle kind of uh, roadblock that people uh, put up. And that's what I would call a practical atheism. Practical atheists might say he's open to the idea of God's existence, but really lives and acts as though God is not relevant to their lives. So I could imagine some in Nazareth certainly would never say the Lord doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. But they, for all of these years, had grown tired and weary of it, just God's apparent inactivity in their historical situation. They were impatient and wondered if God would ever do anything. And prophets like Isaiah had been called to comfort God's people, to promise his deliverance, but, you know, they hadn't seen anything. That, that happens today as well. You know, the statistics tell us that 70% of people in the United States say they believe in God. They believe God exists. But really, uh, many of these live as practical atheists. They don't live as though they believe. They believe the God they want to, be, they want to create themselves. That's it. Yeah. And so I think all of those roadblocks that were uh, in evidence in the synagogue in Nazareth, they're still around. Uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same in that regard. Yeah. So the, the three things that you mentioned were pre preconceived ideas, which is, uh, which leads us to the idea of defining God on our own terms. Right. And you have the group think, the group think, which is really uh, taking the course of least resistance. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and in practical atheists, which is really asking the question, what's God done for me? That's right. <laughs> That's how we would hear it today. Yeah. You mentioned. I believe uh, God exists, but hey, you know, I got to, I got to live my life. And uh, uh, you, you mentioned the, that there were two stories from the life, one from the life of Elijah, one from the life of Elisha. The li one from Elijah comes from first Kings 17, which is about the widow of Zarephath. Uh, the one from Elisha is about the healing of Naaman, which is found in 2 Kings 5. How do those references uh, here in Luke 1, uh, verses 24, 25, 26, 27, how do they tell us, what do they tell us about the nature of the gospel of Jesus? So just, just kind of picture in your mind, here's Jesus in a synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. And so he's talking to Jewish believers, Jewish people uh, who... Uh, believe that they are people of the covenant and that God has chosen them to be a special people. And all of that was true. Then Jesus, as he begins to talk about uh, their erroneous expectations and uh, their rejection of him that, hey, this is Joseph's son. He, he starts to mention how God is was working in the life of Gentiles, even back in the Old Testament days. So I would say that that tells us that Jesus was, was there to announce the gospel, but it tells us that some who rightly should have been the first to believe in Jesus and to embrace the gospel news that he was presenting were the quickest to reject him. I'm reminded of John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, where that writer says, he, meaning Jesus, was in the world. The world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. 
he came to his own, meaning the, the Jewish people. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So I think that reference to the blessing of Gentiles, first of all, should have been a convicting message that some who should be the first to believe in Jesus are too often quick to reject him. Paul also, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10 too, uh, he being a, a Jew as well and had rejected Christ until that encounter on the road to Damascus. And Paul wrote in Romans 10 too, since I can testify about them, meaning the Jews, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They, they say they love God. They say they believe in God, but they really don't know God uh, because they reject the one whom God sent to be their deliverer. But I think second, it tells us uh, the reference to the Gentile blessing uh, tells us that the gospel was always intended for both Jews and Gentiles in God's plan. God, God called Abraham, as you recall, in Genesis 12. His calling of Abraham to covenant was that Abraham would be the father of a great nation, but then he would be a blessing to all people groups. And so that is reiterated by Isaiah in uh, chapter 49, verse 6, where Isaiah was talking about the servant who would come, meaning the Messiah. It's not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So it tells us that from the beginning, God had in his plan, not just the redemption of one nation of people, but for all people. And then third, I think it warns us, uh, Jesus's reminder about the, uh, the blessing of Gentiles in the past. It, it warns us that continuing to reject Jesus and the gospel can have serious consequences. You know, God desires to give people the spiritual treasures of his kingdom, but rejection of that, rejection of the gospel by anyone or any group, it's not going to stop the truth or the power of God. God's going to continue to do what he plans to do, but he may send his ambassadors, his preachers, his prophets to a more respectful and responsive audience. Uh, those who uh, are uh, anticipating and looking for deliverance and the deliverer. And so God may send his uh, people to them. I, th I think that's a good reminder for us today as well, that, you know, if you continue to reject Jesus in the gospel, there, there may come this point where God sends the message uh, to others. Clean the dust off your feet, and move on to another place kind that, of thing. That's what Jesus told his disciples when he was sending them out to to proclaim the message of peace, he said, if the, if the folks reject you, if they don't uh, receive you, you know, go to the next place. Uh, look for that person of peace who will uh, listen to you and respond in faith to the message of gospel. Their thoughts, their view of Jesus didn't change the fact that he was still Jesus. That's exactly uh, and, right. And we see that how this story ends. In verse 30, it says that Jesus passed through the crowd and went on his way. Help us understand what this means. Was this a miracle or just a simple escape? 
Well, <laughs> I don't know that I can say for sure, but uh, verse 29 sets up this verse 30. And so in verse 29, it says that Jesus uh, complied when, when the furious synagogue worshiped, when they just, when Jesus talked about the Gentiles being blessed and, and he said, uh, you know, you, you want the doctor to heal himself. You want to see some great miracle. And he wasn't going to do that. Anyway, when, they, when the worshipers became furious and they decided to drive him out of the town, Jesus complied. He was, he was going out of town, but that wasn't going to be good enough for uh, these who were uh, so upset at Jesus. They, it says they brought him to the edge of a hill uh, on which the town had been built, and their intent was to hurl him over the cliff. So it wasn't just that they were going to drive him out of town. Their intent was that they were going uh, to harm, if not uh, kill him. Well, the Gospels consistently indicate to us that Jesus Jesus knew what his destiny was. He knew uh, that God's plan was not going to be preempted by uh, human schemes like this. And so we, we don't know the precise means by which Jesus passed through the crowd. It, it may have been just a miraculous event where he disappeared here and appeared uh, outside the town. Uh, or it could have been just a simple act of his uh, in, in the midst of the chaos of the angry mob, he simply just slipped away from them. But either way, it is, uh, if it was a miracle, it would be really sort of ironic because the synagogue worshipers, one of the things they had demanded was, you know, do here what you did in Capernaum, those miraculous works. And so, in a sense, this was the miracle that they received, the miracle of Jesus being able to just pass through this angry, chaotic mob and to move on to another place that would uh, receive his message. He left them high and dry in their fury and their rejection of the gospel. It is kind of ironic that Luke is so full of detail uh, throughout his gospel, but here it's just, uh, he just kind of leaves it at that, that that, well, Jesus, Jesus got out of that situation and right. was on his way. Kind of, I can, you know, Luke, Luke indicated that he, uh, he talked to the sources. He talked to the eyewitnesses. And I can imagine him asking uh, someone, maybe Mary uh, or someone else who was at that, the uh, synagogue that day, you know, how, how did Jesus escape? How did he get away? And, um, and the answer was, well, he just, he passed right through the crowd. <laughs> You yeah, know, it's, it's kind of a no understanding exactly yeah, how it, it happened. But it's yeah. kind of like an eyewitness saying, I don't really know how he did it, but somehow he, he did, did it. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other key ideas or thoughts you would share about Luke 4, 16 through 30, David? It, it's interesting there, and I won't get into it uh, in depth, but it's interesting that here you have the, uh, the description of a synagogue service that really probably constitutes one of the earliest uh, known uh, descriptions of, of the order of service. In other words, the, the way the synagogue service proceeded and, uh, and what might happen and who might do what. So I, I think that's an interesting historical part of this passage is just to kind of look through, uh, might be a good you know, side study for someone just to say, okay, well, here's, here's the way they're worshiped took place in these synagogues. Here's what happened and here's who did what.
Yeah, the, the did you know call out box that's in the personal study guide and the daily discipleship guide for this lesson notes that the entire text of Isaiah is contained on a single scroll. And, and, and the Dead Sea Scrolls is one example. Mm -hmm. um, it's just one of the most famous and best preserved ancient scrolls is what's known as the Isaiah scroll. And it's nearly complete, it's nearly a complete copy of Isaiah and it's dated from second century BC. So them handing Jesus the scroll that contained Isaiah, it's one of those books that, that that'd be true of. The whole book would have been on a single scroll right uh, as opposed to other books shared with it or um it, it not being able to be contained on that one one role so that is an interesting fact that it's isaiah that gets handed to him yeah from time to time in the podcast we mention different resources in the explore the bible family we'll talk about the leader pack adult commentary a quick source to name a few uh, you can find out more about the explore the bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. You'll find out all kinds of information there about not just the adult resources, but also student and kids resources that are offered from LifeWay. David, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for listening to us this week, and we hope you join us again next week. We'll be looking at session nine, where we look at Jesus calling some of the early disciples, Peter, James, John, and Levi.